Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Well, this morning, uh, we have the privilege of uh, some missionaries that have uh, come to visit us. And so we're going to invite Tom and Kristen Bursma to come forward. And uh, we just want them to come up. And, and we're so grateful. And I, I know you've, I've talked about in the past, but um, my grandma Leap, my mom's mom, uh, she had 23 or 24, I can't remember how many, grandkids. And she prayed her whole life that one of her grandkids would be uh, full-time missionaries. And so they're the answer to that prayer. So praise the Lord. You guys want to guys come on up? Let's welcome Tom and Kristen and the family. We're just going to kind of ask some questions. What we want to do this morning is just give you a, a glimpse, a snapshot of kind of life on the front lines, if you will. And, you know, it's not often you get a chance to uh, participate and really hear what God is doing. And we celebrate what God's doing. We, 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 we're connected globally to churches in Africa and India and, and all over the world. And the Philippines is one of those areas where not, we don't really know a whole lot about what's going on there. And so it's Praise the Lord that we've got an opportunity to hear what is God doing in the Philippines. And so we're just glad you guys come with us. And so we're going to just maybe, if you guys want to, just tell us a little about who you are and, and what God's done in the past few years in your lives and kind of introduce us to what's going on. Okay, well, thank you so much for having us here today. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, we could put the first picture up probably. Picture um, so there's us. Um, uh, we've got four girls, obviously, um, ages six, nine, almost 11, and 13. And um, we've been living in the Philippines for um, coming up on 15 years. Uh, so we moved out there, just us, in our mid-20s, no kids. And um, God has obviously grown our family. Um, we work with a non-denominational organization called World Team. Um, it's evangelical, and it's all about church planting. Um, it's really about spreading the gospel, but uh, we believe the best way to do that is to plant new churches um, in places that don't have them. Um, and so that's what we're doing. We work on a little island in the Philippines. It's called Catenduanes, um, and most people can't say that, so we just call it Cots. Um, but we work on Cots, and um, it's out on the western side, in the or in the eastern side, in the Pacific Ocean. Um, it's kind of one of the first ones all the typhoons like to come through and hit. Uh, it's a pretty rural place full of fishermen and farmers. And um, part of the reason we work there is because even though there are a lot of um, believers in Manila, um, a place like Catanduanes is uh, not very attractive to them. Um, it's considered backwards and hick, and nobody wants to go there. Um, people don't want to move there and leave their cosmopolitan life to share the gospel. Um, it was such a big jump for us to get to the Philippines that Cots wasn't a much bigger jump. <laughs> so um, we live out there away from all the traffic of Manila. We actually have green growing things. Um, it's actually a very beautiful place, although it has very poor infrastructure and very poor people. Um, and so that's where we live. We started on the northern end of the island. Um, and we spent eight and a half years up there um, on a team planting a church. And as that church started to grow and um, kind of take on its own leadership, we, our team started phasing out because they didn't need us anymore, and we wanted them to stand on their own feet. So now we're in our second church plant in a town called San Andres on the southern end of the island. 
Awesome. Great. So, you know, as if you guys have been there for 15 years, what's the kind of spiritual brokenness that you see amongst the people who live there in that island? Yeah, the spiritual brokenness. What is the the spiritual temperature there? What is what are people's hearts like? And I we kind of just wanted to highlight just a few of the the brokenness that that we see. Uh, could you put up the next picture, picture number two? I kind of wanted to. How can I capture poverty? You know, that's a hard that's a hard thing because poverty is so encompassing in so many places, and we have poverty here in Munster and Highland in these areas. There's there's poverty. So as I thought about it, my mind immediately went to Booboy. Uh, that's the young child there. Uh, that's, his, that's his sister, not his mother. I had some other pictures of his mom, but I thought, you got the best picture of little Booboy. And it's not a perfectly clear picture because it's kind of bright in here. But as you can see, little Booboy is not doing well. Uh, the Soleros lived, if I got on my motorcycle from our house, they lived about 30 seconds from our house. Uh, and little Boo Boy died a little more than a, a year ago. Um, and he died because of poverty. Um, when we were visiting his house, when he wasn't doing well, because it, it was kind of a multiple-week process for Boo Boy of us visiting his house, bringing him to the hospital, and pretty much every time we visited Boo Boy Solero's house with his mom and his sister, and he's got quite a few siblings, his dad was drunk every time. Um, when we went to his wake, his dad was drunk. Um, at the funeral, he wasn't drunk, but he might have been. I mean, that's, that's poverty. His mother uh, was neglectful of him. He died because of he was malnourished. He wasn't getting pop, proper care. Um, the neighbors would talk about how little Boo Boy and some of his siblings would come to their house just to get some, some hot water. Um, and when he died, I will never forget the sounds of his mother, her screams and her heartache and her pain. And all of us looking with just sadness and saying, he died because, because there's, there's this brokenness. And I... You know, our understanding of poverty, what we see in the Philippines, poverty, yes, it is a result of circumstances, but it often is a result, it's a spiritual condition. I, I, I don't want to, I have to, I have to be careful with that because yes, there's times uh, a father dies and now the family's in poverty. It's very different. But what we see on a regular basis, not in every case, is it is a spiritual condition. And I believe our prayer is that the Soleros will find Christ. Uh, live transformed lives. And like I, I see this church has so many little kids. It's amazing. And I think we're not perfect, but we love our kids and we want to see our children grow and develop and be healthy. Yeah. And that's my prayer for the Soleros. Yeah. Um, another, just a few other points. I think you can't talk about the Philippines and Catanduanas without talking alcohol abuse. Uh, it's, it's not just common, it's a way of life. Uh, just a, a very quick story. I was, they have PTA in the Philippines, Parent Teacher Association. And I was the president of this, it was a daycare, well, sorry, it's a preschool. That's a, it's a preschool. And we went to the induction when the officers are, are inducted into their positions. 
And I thought, as president, I better stay for the whole thing and really engage people. And I was sitting with these guys, and they were nice guys. Uh, I was kind of sharing one of the guys a little bit about the Lord. And little by little, as they got drunker and drunker and drunker, uh, what they talked about, the topics got just more disgusting and foul and ungodly. Um, and it didn't take long. They started talking about the female teachers in ways that was making me very uncomfortable. Um, and at the very end of it, they all wanted to go slow dance with these teachers. And they really shamed me deeply um, because they would not take no for an answer, and they just pushed me and said, you have to dance, you have to. And, and it was a very humiliating, difficult thing for me. Um, and I refused because I was not going to do it. I was like, that's not God's will for me right now. But it came down to the point where they were getting very angry and in my face. And I, I just use that to highlight alcoholism and drunkenness as a way of life. And just the impact on families and culture it can't be overstated. Um, and that was my own experience. And I have many more experiences with alcoholism, drunkenness, that um, just make life difficult for people and keep people in bondage. Um, another point would be broken families. The very first believers... Uh, the ones that a little bit later we'll talk to you about how they were baptized. Um, they share their story. They share their lives. And every this, of this first group of people that have been baptized, there's uh, three ladies. There's a few more that haven't been baptized yet in this first group. And every single person would share their story, share about their family. And in every situation, every situation, these first people that we connected with, uh, there was a great deal of adultery um, and their parents either separated or just a lifestyle that um, really left a lot of brokenness in those individuals that found the Lord. Yeah. Um, and kind of last, my last point I want to talk about the brokenness, we see very, very, very few good role models. Um, people that people in the community can look up to and say, this is someone I want to be like. Um, and, and that would be kind of just a little picture of the, some of the yeah. brokenness that we see. Wow. So is there one particular stronghold or sin that, that you feel like keeps people in bondage more than, than any other one? Yeah, all, all these sins that Tom was talking about, um, they really break our hearts. And I always get upset talking about them every time. Um, they look like separate problems, but they really have a common root in our community um, that we see. Um, we really believe that the people of San Andres have been deceived. Um, and they pin their hopes on this thing they call the Batong Balawai, um, or it's called Our Lady of Sorrows. Um, it's a, it's a stone. It's a, it's a small stone, and it has an image on it of, um, Mary. Um, and obviously Mary is, um, called blessed in the Bible. She was chosen by God, um, but not chosen to be worshiped. Um, and to give you a little history of this stone, they have this whole legend, um, this story that they tell about the stone. Um, uh, they say back in San Andres between 1900 and 1910, um, supposedly the place was filled with deeply religious people and their only hope for better lives was in the power of prayers that their wishes be granted. Um, they say the families didn't miss a single day of prayers at 6 o'clock in the morning and in the evening. These were supposedly good people who um, were God-fearing and hardworking by nature and there was no graft and corruption, which is... Um, first of all, none of us are good by nature, and second of all, the Philippines is riddled with graft and corruption, so it's already kind of a fairy tale. Um, during the rice harvest, supposedly two boys were out herding water buffalo, and one of them saw a sparkling object in the branches of a tree with a picture of a lovely woman on it. Um, 
And so he took it home, and he hid it away in the thatch of his roof. And later, supposedly, his mother saw a shimmering light coming from the roof, and he told her about it and showed her the stone, and they kept it in a trunk in their house. Um, And then the mom supposedly remembered hearing church bells from nowhere one time while harvesting rice, and she believed that this was the moment when her son found this stone. Um, In the following days, they smelled a fragrant odor coming from the trunk, and they removed the image and enthroned it on an altar in their home. Um, It started to radiate light, and local residents were surprised when a wave of pilgrims started to arrive from across the water from the mainland. They brought sick people looking for healing, and they reported seeing an apparition of a woman with the same name as this mother who came to their homes asking for aid to build a chapel in honor of Our Lady of Sorrows. Uh, Many more waves of people arrived from far away, and they brought money and materials for the chapel. They prayed before the image, and um, some of them took parts of the tree where it was found, and they believed that all these people were cured. And so they built a chapel, and the image was enshrined there. Um, And they believed that this image did more miracles. Um, It's supposed to be responsible for lots of signs and miracles. They say they've seen the stone wink at them. Um, They say they've seen bright rays coming from the altar at her church. And this stone is still in a special chapel in our town. Um, And lots of people still flock there to worship or to pray at at the stone, asking for miracles. Um, When people in our town want to get more dedicated to God or more religious in their lives, they go to the stone. That's always where they go. Twice a year, the stone's paraded around the town of San Andres in a big procession as an act of devotion. Um, and so people don't understand that the only way to the Father is through Christ. They don't understand that that's where the only true hope lies. Um, and Satan's deceived these people. He substituted a lie for the truth. And so when people go looking for God, they don't go to God. They go to the stone. Um, and I, I hate that stone um, because it's, it's kept people in darkness kept them far from the true light who really has the power to transform their hearts and their lives eternally. They've substituted something that can't do anything for them, this lie for the truth that could transform their poverty, that could transform their families. Um, And so the the stone breaks my heart. And, um, you know, here we have idols in our lives that we talk about, but there they have like this physical idol that they go and they, they touch it. And they pray to it. They wipe handkerchiefs um, near it to take home to family members to try to heal them. Um, This thing has power in their lives, and it's a stronghold that Satan holds over them. Wow. So what does your team do then to reach out to people and to to build relationships with people in the community? That's me. Oops. Um, So... Uh, in our first church plant, we showed up and we just said straight up, we're here to share the word of God. We're here to um, teach Bible studies. Um, the town that we're in now is historically known as um, being resistant to missionaries. Um, and so our team took a different approach. Um, one of our teammates um, who got there about a year before us, year or two, um, started uh, what we call an NGO over there or a nonprofit organization called the International Service Corps. Um, and through the service corps, we've got feeding programs for um, kids who come from poor families. Uh, we offer free computer classes because lots of people there are looking to improve their computer skills um, so they can get better jobs. 
Um, we teach English as a second language classes. We do reef awareness and um, we foster volunteerism by helping people volunteer in their own community through things like beach cleanups, um, other events like that, because people there aren't used to serving. Um, the idea of serving people without reward is um, very foreign. And all these activities allow us to build close relationships with people in the community. Um, uh, they don't feel like a project to us. They're our friends. Um, but it also means, like, if we have a 10-week computer class, we can share the gospel 10 times. Um, every week, somebody shares their testimony and talks about what God has done in their lives. You know, it's not a bait and switch. When people show up for class, we say, so in this class, we're going to be talking about Jesus, too, because uh, we think that's important for your lives. And so every week, people hear about God. Every week, people hear about what he's done and what um, he can do in their lives. And um, it's a really great way to help people learn to serve, to build relationships, and to start um, sharing the gospel so that uh, we can see whose lives God's already moving in, where he's at work, um, and the people that we can start investing in. All right, so even as you're, you're doing the computer classes, and, and re, what are some of the other ways that you share the gospel in, in the community? So, yeah, in the, like, for instance, in the computer class, it's 10 weeks, and each week we share either a testimony or we talk about the gospel. And we've discovered in the past we would do events, a one-time event or a two-time event, but we've discovered uh, when we do a teaching that's multiple weeks, 10, 5, 10, 15 times that we come together, we build a very strong relationship with the people in the class because as a teacher, they respect us. We can have really great spiritual conversation with our different students, but we do abundant gospel sowing. And so in the class, before it starts, we share, I'll share about my life. The next week we'll have one of the other missionaries or Kristen or one of the believers from the area talk about how they found Christ and how their lives have been transformed in the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, after doing that for a few weeks, we then open the word of God with them and basically share the gospel. And it is a phenomenal venue because we've built up trust, we have a relationship, we're in spiritual conversation with them, even outside of class as much as possible, and then we share the Word of God. And we found some really neat success. You know, in mission circles, uh, in, in scholarship, they really they, they struggle. How do we bring those together? How do we? It's very difficult in ministry to bring kind of a holistic approach to take uh, be the hands and feet of Christ, but also come with the message of the gospel. And we feel like in how we've done it, we've married those two together. And so we can love people and meet their physical needs with the love of Jesus. And at the same time, through that relationship, we can share the truth of God. It's general and special revelation coming together. Uh, and we've found that that's just been a very effective. So we do computer classes, English class, we do that. We do reef awareness. So before we would go out, sorry, uh, yep, in jail ministry, so we go every week to the jail. We've done exercise programs there, health programs. Uh, we work a lot with the jail, and we have, going to the jail, we have a lot of people to the Lord in the jail. So we come in first, love them in Christ, their hearts soften to what we're doing. We then say, hey, can we teach you the Bible? We have to get permission from the warden, he's always given it. And now uh, we've been working in the jail for about, uh, well, probably about three years now. And have had uh, some, seen some really neat life change. We haven't had a Muslim couple 
uh, that God used some dreams, and both of them came to Christ uh, in our wow. jail ministry. So wow. it's just a, it's a neat way to bring uh, love and truth together. Yeah, that's neat. So how are then how are you seeing people growing in their faith, and how do you work out discipleship in, in that context? So obviously, as we all know, discipleship is critical. If you're not doing good discipleship, the church is going to be weak and timid. Uh, and not storm the gates of hell. So we believe passionately that solid discipleship is so important. Um, and so how do we do that? So once we built a relationship with them through uh, the service corps, the International Service Corps, we invite them to a Bible study. Our Bible study, just very briefly, it's six weeks. Our goal in Bible study is to challenge people because everyone in the Philippines thinks, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, so we challenge that point through passages such as Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship, or he talks about the wide and the narrow path, or the wide and the narrow gate. Um, uh, Lord, Lord, uh, didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus says, away from me, I, I, I don't know who you are, I, I never knew you. So we challenge people in the evangelism six weeks to, for them to look at their own life and say, maybe I'm not saved. Then we come in with the cross and the truth of that Jesus died for you and he wants you to give your whole heart to him. So that's our Bible study. Uh, through, depends on different Bible studies. After six weeks, then we move toward more of a discipleship focus. Our goal is to get each person into house church. Um, once they're in house church, they would meet every Sunday and continue the Bible study, uh, form community, do church, just like you're doing here, but on a smaller context. Uh, in, a, in a church or in a house setting. We also have, uh, I don't know if some of you are aware of basic, basic, basic missional thinking, but the most critical thing that we do that we want to do well is leadership training. And so we start leadership training with people before they're even saved. Because we want you from day one, whether we think you're a good leader or not, we're going to train you to be a leader. Um, and our goal, because we really can't leave and we can't entrust the ministry to people until they have taken on that call and their faith is deep. And so part of what we do is leadership training. We do spiritual retreats. Those who do not pray have no vision. They have no direction. And our desire is to see the believers in the Word every day, on their knees before God every day, seeking His face, seeking His will, humbling themselves before God, and we do that in, in these retreats. Uh, briefly, we've had two baptisms. Our first baptism, what was the, the first one we did? What was that? What month? Maybe January, February. Okay, February we had our first baptisms. Uh, the first baptisms are always difficult because that's when persecution starts in the culture. Uh, our first one had two people that were baptized, one lady who said, I'm going to take a stand for my faith, and I'm going to be baptized. And God bless her. She was the only one that did it from our ministry. The second person was my oldest daughter, Rachel, was baptized this year. And so uh, we were both in tears seeing our daughter make that decision and go before the Lord and be baptized. We just, in the past week, like a week ago, we had our second baptism. And we had a couple, then their two kids. Uh, another lady, some of her, her two children, 
And then the first lady was baptized. Her, one of her daughters was baptized. So that's our second baptism. And very soon in the next probably two to three months, we'll have our third baptism. And so we're delighted because that's in that culture, in that society, it's not about going to Bible study. It's baptism is when you're taking a stand for Jesus. And they've taken the stand. Uh, And that's definitely the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that's Mm -hmm. making that possible. Wow, that's neat. So can you share a story about someone whose life has been changed like that? Sure. Could you do the third picture? Uh, This was actually at the baptism, and this was one of the families, their husband and wife, and those are the two kids. So I want to just share with you the story of Rublin, the the mom there. Um, And Rublin is a dear and special woman in our own lives, Um, seeing God slowly but surely begin to transform and change her life is a delight to us. But her story is heartbreaking. Um, you see that she has two children there. She actually has three children. And I want to, tell, I want to share with you about her, her oldest. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and this happened probably in 2004. She was living in Manila with her husband, Peter. That's Rublin Peter. Xander is her son, and Zandra is their youngest daughter. They were living in the slums of Manila in 2004. And it's common in the Philippines, the government sets up programs to help the poorest of the poor. Rublin and Peter are the poorest of the poor. And a really neat program came up in their community where you could register through the government and um, basically receive regular care from the government. And when that came to their, their barangay, the, this group, the, their neighborhood, sorry, the neighborhood, they set up uh, a little makeshift sort of tent, and there she registered. And so Rublin had registered herself for this really neat program. And while she was there, there was another lady who was also registering, and she was having a hard time with the forms. And if you knew Rublin, you know Rublin would immediately try to help that person. That is her heart. So she went to help this person, and her baby that she was holding on to was crying and fussing, and she's trying to help this lady fill out the form because she had already filled it out. Um, and having such a hard time that someone uh, as part of this clinic offered to hold her baby. And while she was filling out, she suddenly looked, and her baby was gone, but she kind of laughed and thought, um, you know, probably just stepped out, and that's what everyone told her. And sad to say, the whole, the whole thing, the whole clinic, it was a ruse to steal babies. Mm. Um, and so Rublin, um, when she realized her baby was gone, was in a panic, of course, searched and searched and searched. The, the whole thing was a farce. And, of course, what would you do here in America? You would go to the police, which is what she did. She went to the police, and the police blamed her. And they said, if you continue to press charges against these people, we're going to press charges against you. Because what are you doing as a mother giving up your baby in that way that is irresponsible? You should not have done that. And people in the community told her the same thing. Her neighbors said, you are irresponsible. You're the problem. You're the reason your baby is gone. Mm. So, dear precious Rublin, you can imagine what that did to her heart. And who do you think she blamed besides just herself? She blamed God. And she says, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen? 
Um, and it caused a deep, deep seed of bitterness in her heart toward God. And she stopped anything religious that she was doing and said, I'm going to have nothing to do with God in my life. And on July 23, 2013, um, Rublin came to know the Lord. And it was a process of us getting to know her and us confronting her with the truth of the gospel. And she was led to the Lord. And so this past July, every July 23, I think it's 23, right? Does that sound? I think it's July 23. Every July 23, her and her very, very best friend, Shirley, who also was baptized, um, celebrate their birthday in the Lord, that they were reborn, they were remade, they were transformed in the power of God. Um, so that's just a little bit about someone in our ministry and how they've come to their, their brokenness and sin and how they've come to the Lord. And now Rublin has just baptized last week, her and Peter. Now, the story, of course, doesn't end there. This is not the Cinderella story that it's happily ever after she's saved and now she lives this amazing, perfect life. Um, her and her husband just, like, fight like crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it makes my head spin sometimes. And um, he gave his life to the Lord. So this is the beginning. This is the beginning of the journey. Um, this is not the end of the journey. Um, they're both saved. They're both baptized. But please pray, pray for Rublin and Peter. And if you knew Rublin, she is a very fiery, passionate person. Um, I would never want Rublin to be mad at me. That would be very scary. Um, and poor, like Peter there, he's like this kind of gentle guy. And I, I mean, Rublin is, I mean, there's, I can tell you the issues. There's a lot of issues there. But God is beginning to work. And yeah. praise God that they've started that journey and already we've seen some really neat and significant changes in their lives that just bring delight to our heart. Wow. It's neat. So do you guys have a challenge for us as a church? Yeah, I, I think so. Because what happens to us a lot is people come up to us and say, oh, I'm so glad you went. I could never do that. <sighs> we can't do this. We're, I don't know, it's, it's all God. It's just obedience. Um, I don't feel uniquely gifted for our ministry. I'd really rather live in America. I don't really, I'm not dying to live in the Philippines. That, that wouldn't be my first choice. Um, but it's a matter of being in the place that God has called us to be, being obedient, obedient to God, and just finding ways to love the people around you. Um, you know, it's very simple, honestly, if we open our eyes to see people's needs around us and say, how could I be a help to that person? How could I love that person the way Jesus loves people? Um, how can I form a relationship? How can I get a little uncomfortable and hang out with somebody who's not a lot like me from what I can see from the outside, but be a blessing to them? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many ways to do that. Some people do that through, through giving to um, their church or to missions. Some people like us do that through going somewhere that we never planned to go and where we really don't feel at home. Some people do that because gods they're already in the place that God has them, and they just need to look for God's call where they are because he has a job for each of us somewhere. He's got people around you who need him, who don't know him. Um, and some of us do that through praying, praying for the people around us, praying and asking God what he's got for us, praying for people who are overseas or who we see um, who need the Lord. Um, 
there's lots of ways that are very practical, maybe uncomfortable, but not all that hard, really, to get involved in what God is doing where you are and to be in obedience to him. Um, we have found that obedience has led to the greatest blessings in our lives. Mm. Not stuff, not material blessing. Um, you know, we didn't become missionaries to be famous and wealthy because it doesn't lead to those things, but it leads to a deepening faith in the Lord. Mm-hmm. It leads to a deepened trust as we see how he is faithful when we step out. Uh, the greatest blessings in our lives have come from obedience. Wow. So that's what we would challenge you to. Look what God is calling to you to where you are and follow him, even if it's maybe not exactly what you want to do. Yeah, good. Thanks, Kristen. Yeah, and I guess we just want to end also just saying thank you. Thank you for letting us come speak to you. Thank you for taking the time to find out about some of these people in the Philippines and what God is doing there. Um, Thanks for just letting us be a part of you this morning. Um, It's a real encouragement to us to be able to share and to be able to glorify God and um, just talk about what he's up to. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We just want to thank you to you guys. Thank you guys for sacrifice and for going. Thank you guys for giving up the comforts of home and family and everything else to bring the gospel to people who need desperately to hear it. So thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. I'd like to just share just a couple things briefly as we kind of wrap some things up. And... Oftentimes we hear stories from the missions field and we get, our, we get this perception of there's, there's the kind of people who would go on the missions field and, and travel thousands of miles and give up all the comforts of home and then there's kind of like everybody else, right? There's like the two kinds of Christians who would, who would sell anything or do anything or go anywhere or stand in the street corner and talk in a, in a megaphone and, and go door to door and all those things and then... It's like, well, then there's the other 99% of us who are kind of left off to the side thinking, well, I'd never do that, so I'm just not part of that kind of group. I want to just turn with us over to Matthew 16. And in this, we see Jesus talking about, the, the, in a sense, the cost of discipleship, of what does it mean to really follow Jesus Christ? What does it mean to, to walk in his ways, to go after Jesus? And this is Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Jesus starts off and he says, Then he told his disciples, and he told those who were following him. These are the believers. These are his people. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. This idea runs contrary to everything that we hear in our culture. Everything that we've been told, we are never told to deny ourselves. Every advertisement, every commercial, every, every job opportunity is all about making more of ourselves, getting more for myself. It's not about denying, it's about acquiring. Nothing says, nothing in our culture says, hey, you should deny yourself. So the words of Jesus Christ are completely opposite of everything that we've been told since we were babies. It says, deny yourself. Then he goes on in verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
There's a paradox, right? There's a paradox here because, look, he's, he's saying, look, if you lose your life, you're going to find it. But if you try to keep your life, you're going to lose it. And so often when I think about my own life and my time and our, my energy and the resources that we have, it's limited. And if I give something away, that means I have less for myself or I, I'm never going to get that back. And Jesus completely flips that upside down again and says, look, no, no, you don't understand. The way to true life, the way to following me and, and, and being the very person I've created you to be is through denying yourself and losing your life, not trying to keep it for yourself. Again, this makes no sense. It just doesn't make sense. It's hard for us to swallow that actually going on the missions field and laying your lives down in that way would think, well, there surely wouldn't be life there. But there's life. Or even doing the little things that God's called us to do. We think, well, there's no life there. I've got, I've got to serve. I've got to help. I've got to bless. Whatever it may be, we think, well, whatever I do, whatever I give away, whatever I invest myself into, that's less for myself. It's less for my family. Giving it away. And what Jesus calls us to do is to walk with him. Take up your cross, follow me. See, where is Jesus going as he takes up his cross? He's going to his death. He's calling you and I as his disciples, as his people, as God's people called by his name, filled with his spirit, ransomed and rescued. He says, follow me, take up your cross, and I'm on my way to my death. He says, this is what Jesus Christ is calling us to. And what, what the gospel of Jesus Christ does is it compels us to look outward. The gospel doesn't call us to look inward. The gospel compels us to look at those around us, to look outward. Salvation isn't just intrinsic in and of ourselves. It, salvation for us comes from God. It's a gift from the Lord. It comes from God. It is, starts with Him. It it is completed by God through Jesus Christ in us. It compels us to look outwards. Everything in our Christian life calls us to look more than just ourselves. It's a call by God to look more than just ourselves. And as a matter of fact, Matthew 28, you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 28, this is the, what we call the Great Commission, but he says, all authority, and before he, he is taken back into heaven, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's just not just a compelling, Jesus compelling us to look outward, he's commanding us to look outward. It says, go therefore. He doesn't say, stay and look inward. It says, go. Go forth. Go out. You can't stay where you are. There must be something that compels us and commands us to look more than just ourselves. And ever since the beginning of time, God has been calling and preparing a people for himself that would be a blessing to the rest of the people on the earth. So in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham. He says, Abraham, I've got a plan for you got a plan for your life and here's the plan 
I want you to, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the other people on the earth. I'm going to use you as my instrument to be a blessing to everyone else on the earth. And God's been doing the exact same thing ever since. He's been preparing and calling a people to himself to be a blessing to everyone else on the earth. That is what God has called his people to do. Not just on the missions field, people, but people everywhere. His disciples, called by his name, being sent forth as those to be a blessing, to care for, to love, to encourage, to strengthen. That is what God Almighty has called his people to do always. It hasn't changed since Genesis chapter 12, and it won't change ever. This is God's plan, calling a people to himself. And I think when we gave our lives to Christ, as, as we call ourselves disciples, when we gave our lives to Christ, there was something in us that said, Lord, I want to be used by you. God, I want to be, be something with my life that you would take and use for your glory and for your purposes. I think when we came to Christ, that was almost birthed in us, that we would be used by God for his purposes. Right? I mean, isn't that when we came to Christ, we think, and we, we have those, like, Lord, I want to be used by you. God, I don't want to stay inward and just self-focused. God, I pray that you would take my life and do something with it for your glory, for your purposes, to expand your kingdom. And maybe it's on the missions field, but God, wherever that may be, Lord, please use me in my home and at work, on my block, with my friends and my family. God, use my life. Make it something that's beautiful to you. We've, we've, we've had those thoughts. We've prayed those prayers. And I believe to the extent that we embrace this call by God, to the extent by which we embrace this call by God in our lives to live for Him in serving and caring and loving and ministering to other peoples is the extent by which we experience the life that we are called to live, the life that we are meant to live. That's what God's done. Now, if you can remember the day that you got your driver's license, you have to take the driver's test, okay? So follow me on this. The day that you got your driver's license. Now, for some of you, that was a long time ago, all right? For Tim, I don't know, it was like horse and buggy. I don't know if they're like, yeah, okay. So, um, but you get your driver's license, you got to take this test, right? And so while you're taking the test, right, think of this, remember this, the radio's not on, is it? You're not, you're not flipping through the dials, you're not, like, checking your phone on the side. I mean, you are, it's like, was it 10 and 2? And you are, like, all dialed into what's going on. The radio's off. You're completely aware of every car, dog, child, stoplight for the next 10 miles. I mean, you, you are completely aware of everything that's going on around you. Even if your grandma was on the side of the road waving at you, you, just, you wouldn't wave back because those hands got to be on 10 and 2 right? There, there is an awareness and a readiness. You are completely dialed into everything that's going on around you. Now, contrast that with, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you get home from work and you get out of the car and you think, I don't know how I got here, right? Have you ever had that experience? You get home from work and you think, I don't remember driving home. I don't know how I got here. I don't know like what roads I took. I don't know if I ran someone over on the way home. I'm just, I'm completely, I've had that just not, re, not that long ago. I'm like, I don't remember what street I was on. 
You know, and it's just complete fog of what happened on the, as you got home from work. Or how many people text when they drive, right? Everyone's like, oh, I wouldn't do that. Like, yeah, you're going to do it on the way home from church here, okay? So don't pretend like you've never done that. But we get dialed into our own selves. We get focused on what's, what's going on in my life. And I wonder how much of this is like our Christian life. We start off with this passion and desire and awareness of all that God is doing around us. And we say, Lord, I want to be a part. God, use me. I am ready. I will listen. I will go. And then as the years go by and as things get busy and as we, as we get involved with other stuff in life and more responsibilities, at some point along the way, we show up at home and we think, how did I get here? I mean, I don't remember what the last few years have been like. God, are, are you even there? Lord, I had all this passion and desire and, and, and longing to serve you. And I, I've prayed these prayers, but all along the way, I've, man, I've, I've just kind of just been in this fog. And I think that so often is, for me, just, it's a wake-up call. Because I don't want to go the rest of my life looking back, thinking to myself, man, I don't even know how I got here. It's not an autopilot. I got too sucked into my own things. I kind of just checked out. I checked, I was on my phone, or I was on the computer, or I was watching TV, or I just got in my own hobbies, or whatever that may be. Or I got too sucked into work. God's calling us to surrender to Him again. And for some of us, that may mean going to an, an island in the Pacific with the good news of Jesus Christ. And for some of it may mean us surrendering ourselves at home or at work or with our friends or in our hobbies or whatever that may be. It's a surrender to God. We need the Lord. You know, not long ago, I was driving down the street and I see a cop pull up behind me, so pull over. Police officer kindly comes to our, my car and says, hey, you blew right past that stop sign back there, you know. And I'm like, man, I've probably blown past that stop sign like a thousand times. I mean, I go past this stop sign every single day. It's, you know, there's not a whole lot of cars around. You just, you're just driving, you're not thinking, Right? Does anyone else do that? Am I the only one who's ever blown through a stop sign? Okay, everyone's kind of like, wow, you're, I'm being judged right now. The perfect driver's in the place. So, sorry for you, but for me, you know, I was pulled over, and, and the police officer's like, you blew right through that stop sign. She, you know, she said, do you remember, you know, did you stop? I was like, I, I, I think I did, <laughs> you know. I don't remember. This, I don't drive like this all the time. I'm just saying, these two instances I did, okay? So I'm not like this all the time. I'm not absent-minded all the time. But the thing is, from here on out, we had the kids in the car. From here on out, every time I go past a stop sign, I remember the fact that there's a cop sitting there, so I make sure to look both ways before I blow through. No. So, <laughs> so it helps me to make a complete stop at the stop sign. The kids are like, Daddy, you didn't make a complete stop. Dad, remember you got pulled over? Like, yeah, I know, I know I was pulled over. I know, you know, every single time. So 
But what happens is the police pull you over, and then they, and in some sense, they demand that you pay attention to the stop sign. That's the job of the police, right? Demand that you pay attention to the rules of the road. That's their job. That's what they're there for. They're, they're also there to serve and protect. But, you know, part of their job is make sure we're obeying by the rules. What I often need, though, is I need a wake-up call from the Lord. I need to get pulled over in some sense and say, John, wake up. You get dialed into your own stuff and your own things and what's important to you and your hobbies and your time and your money and your energy and what you've got going on in your own life that you completely forget the very thing that I've called you to do. The very thing that I created you for, you've forgotten about. Because from the very beginning of time up until now, I'm calling a people to myself to be a blessing, to love other people to serve, to care for, to look out for. And I get so dialed into my own stuff that I pay no attention to the stop sign around me and blow right through. I wonder for us today, as we even hear about Tom and Kristen and their lives, I appreciate Kristen sharing, like, hey, this is hard. This isn't easy. It would be much easier to live to live here in the States and all the amenities of, of life in the States and the provisions that God's given us and the, the safe roads and there's no cockroaches and there's you know, all these other things going on. But yet, somehow there's life in what God has called us to do. God is calling each one of us. This morning is a wake-up call. This morning is a stop sign that we need to heed and pay attention to because we don't want to end up at the end of our lives looking back thinking, how did I get here? I don't even remember because God has called us for so much more. He's redeemed us. He has filled us with His Holy Spirit. He's called us by His name. He's strengthened us, empowered us, and now He's calling us to follow Him deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. Because that is where real life is found. It's not found in me keeping it for myself. He says, no, no, no. That's not real life. Real life is laying it down. And that is where real life is found. I want us to take a moment. Because in everyone's context, is different. For some of us, it may mean, as we are at home with the kids... That somehow we find time to continue to disciple and, and care for them instead of checking out. It may mean for us at work saying, Lord, I'll be sensitive to your spirit enough to say, God, if you're calling me to befriend somebody or to stop gossiping or slandering other people around me or, to, or like what Tom was saying, hey, look, there's some guys and they're, they're talking about some things and they're doing some things at the PTA meeting that I can't be a part of. I can't do that. Or maybe it means us saying, look, we're going to intentionally care for the broken and the lost around us. Maybe that's my own family. Maybe that's my friends. Maybe that's my neighbors. There's all kinds of different opportunities that God's given us. We're hopefully going to start an ESL program here at the church in the next month or two. It'll be a great opportunity to connect with people who are, need to learn English, need to acclimate into the, to the culture here, to life here in the States, 
It'd be a great way to serve them. International students. There's all kinds of things going on. But I want to challenge us this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to close in prayer. And I want to do this. If you feel like the Lord is, is putting His hand on your shoulder, if you will, if the Lord is getting a hold of you, or getting a hold of, uh, of where you are right now, and you think to yourself, man, I don't know how I've gotten here, but I know that God's called me for so much more. And what we're going to do is I want you to just raise your hand, and we'll have the people around you pray for you. So you may not know the people around you, you may not know who those people are, but we're going to pray together. We're going to pray that God would get a hold of our hearts, that we would fully surrender to Him. And then we'll, then we'll just... We'll dismiss from there. But I want for us this morning to do that. If you feel, the, feel God putting his hand on your shoulder, God nudging you in a way that says, I need, to, I need to heed the stop sign, if you will. I need to surrender my life to him again. I want you just to raise your hand right now. We'll have people around you pray for you. So if we could, if you guys see the hands raised around you, if you want to just kind of Move seats, if whatever you want to do, just gather around and pray. And we'll do that for a couple minutes. We'll just do it all together. It won't be like one person leading. We'll just quietly gather around. And we'll just pray together, and then we'll close out with prayer. So we can do that now. If you just want to just get up and move, maybe a little uncomfortable, that's okay. We're going to pray for one another as a church. As well as... Um, as we pray for the people in the church, I'd like, if Tommy and Kristen are open to it, maybe if you guys can get up and just stand in the back. Can we gather, can have some people gather around Tommy and Kristen as well from the church? They'll be in the back. We just want to pray for them as well and just ask God's strengthening of their hearts and lives and their family. So as Mercy Hill, let's gather around in prayer. This is what we do. This is a family. Don't be too bashful. Don't be too shy. Let's gather around each other and just pray for God's help and His strength in what we're doing.